As we begin looking at this uh, third plague, I want to ask you, how many of you like working outside? How many of you like yard work? Uh, I know Fanny does. In, in the hot summer day, just this past Thursday, lo- we look out there and there's Fanny picking weeds by the sign. So, uh, so I know Fanny likes, likes yard work. How many of you like doing yard work? How many of you like doing yard work on a hot, humid summer day? Yeah, we have a few. We have a few self-torturers. How many of you um, enjoy when you're out in the hot, humid summer and even though it's September 2nd, you feel the humidity right now, it's not relinquishing. How many of you like it when you start having the bugs flying around your eyes and your mouth and your face? How many of you like that feeling? No hands there. This morning we're going to be looking at a plague dealing with these types of bugs. In fact, I, one thing I don't miss about living in Florida is what we're experiencing right now, uh, the, the high humidity levels. And uh, many of you know this because of past stories I've told. Some of you may not. Uh, one of the jobs that I had uh, working myself through college uh, in the summer times and then even uh, through seminary was when I would come back home from, uh, from school, I'd go back to, to uh Orlando, Florida area, and I would work in a cactus nursery. And uh, in Florida, those nurseries inside would get to be about 110 degrees with about 100% humidity. And it was horrible. And and you would see uh, the different workers there. You almost had to learn karate because of all the bugs and the flies and the gnats that would be flying in front of your face. It would be quite humorous. Just the other week when we were in Louisville, I was doing a class. Rachel and the kids had come with me, and they were uh, waiting for me to get out of class. So there was this nice bench right by the big library, and it was under a shaded tree, and they sat there for about 10 minutes. And without even knowing it, when I came, we went inside the building. They all had welts covering their legs because of all these mosquito-type biting insects that were there without warning. These insects that we read about are very, very, very much a nuisance in our lives, but yet the little gnats that we think of when we, um, when we are out in the heat are not the gnats that we are going to read about this morning. We mustn't simply think of just a few annoying gnats that fly around our face that irritate us. There's something more here. And what the more is, is that that these insects were literally the handiwork of God that were displaying His might and His strength as an act of judgment upon Pharaoh. In fact, we read in Exodus 6, 6, if you just turn over a few pages in your Bible, God says what He is going to do, and He tells Moses, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you 
and get this, with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. So through this plague, Pharaoh and the Egyptian people would once again be confronted with the one true God. God is once again going to send this plague as both a judgment, an act of judgment, and an act of mercy. And as we have seen with the first two plagues, there would not be immediate release from captivity, but what God was doing is God was paving the way for achieving His ultimate plan and purpose. Folks, it's easy to get impatient with God. It's easy to say, God, why are you not solving this now? But the answer is that God is at work in our life and he is paving the way for our Christ-likeness. For our true redemption. And today as we look at this third and very short detailed plague we are going to once again see that God is showing us this morning that it is him and him alone that can rescue and redeem God alone can rescue and redeem and we're going to look at just this short detailed plague we are going to see how God shows himself as rescuer and redeemer and we're going to see that through two simple points this morning in fact this is going to kind of be the pattern of how we look at all of these plagues that unfold we're going to look at God's act of judgment that is very evident and then we're going to look at God's act of revelation what is he trying to reveal about himself So let's begin this morning with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, though the temperatures are are more humid and hot today, Father, I pray that you would just grasp a hold of our minds, our attention. Father, that we may behold the wondrous truth of who you are. Father, I pray that you would redirect our focus that Lord, you are the one that is to be worshipped. You are the one that we are to live for. Not ourselves, not things that are passing away, not our own comfort. But God, it's you. Lord, would we see in the pages of Exodus that what you are showcasing for us is the ultimate redemption that you have provided through the greatest Passover lamb, Jesus Christ. Father, would we run to you as our salvation, our refuge, our strength. In Jesus' name, amen. As we begin this morning, we are going to look at just simply verses 16 to 19 of Exodus chapter 8. And we are first of all going to see God's act of judgment. This is now the third plague. These plagues are meant to be seen together as you are reading through the book of Exodus. We are taking them one by one to kind of see what they are telling us, but all ten of these plagues showcase God's glory, His strength, His saving of His people. These plagues 
are actually, they are uh, described in detail to be three sets of three plagues, with then the climactic tenth plague. And the reason we know this is because the plagues are described, the way that each plague is described is described in a repetitive manner that there are parallels with, for instance, the first and fourth plague, the second, the fifth, the third, the sixth, and so on. And we're going to be looking at that, but we are on the last plague of this first cycle, so to speak. And you, we read in verse 16, Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth so that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. So as we look at, at God's act of judgment here with this first point, we first of all have to realize once again, as with the other two plagues, the word of the Lord. What is the word of the Lord here? Well, we see it's a direct word. There's no two ways about it. This is a very direct word that God has for Moses. So the word is given to Moses. God says, uh, say to Aaron. This is the next step, in other words. Okay, plague one. Water turns into blood. What happens? As Terry mentioned, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Plague number two, the frogs come out of the Nile River. They encompass everything. What happens? Pharaoh's heart is once again hardened. So Moses is thinking, okay, what now? And the Lord doesn't leave Moses. He doesn't leave Aaron out to hang. He gives them a very direct word. This word was clear and precise. He says, this is what I want you to tell Aaron. So this was not, uh, not Moses giving Aaron an idea of what to do next. This was God's word instructing both Moses and Aaron. And you remember that at the burning bush, Moses is full of excuses, right? Well, I, don't send me because I have a stammering tongue. I won't be able to, stay, to, to be before Pharaoh. He's not going to listen to me, this and that and this. And God says, okay, I'm going to send Aaron with you. He is going to be your spokesman. So what we see here as God is instructing Moses what to do next, we kind of see how the role that God, Moses, and Aaron have to play here. We see that Moses is the messenger. Moses is telling Aaron what to do. Aaron here in, in plague number three is the enactor. So Aaron's going to be the one to speak the words to Pharaoh. But, most importantly, and we have to get this because this is true in our lives as well, God is the author. God is the author. You see, it would be a totally different story that we would be reading if just these ideas were popping up in Moses and Aaron's minds if they were trying to be the rescuers for the people of Israel. Can I ask you this morning, where do you view yourself on that list in your everyday life? 
Do you think that you are the messenger, that everything is dependent upon you, that, boy, i got to say this right, i got to make all these right decisions as the parent, everything is dependent upon me, I've got to be just right in order to get my desired outcomes. Do you find yourself as the enactor in your life, that it is all, again, up to me? I've got to make things happen. I've got to blaze my own trail. I've got to be my own Savior. Listen, God is the author of your life. Are you rightly this morning placing yourself under the divine revelation that God has given you through His Word? Because I tell you, I talk to a lot of people I have talked to a lot of people in my life that they will say, I know what God's word says. And even if they don't use these words, the attitude is, I know what God's word says, but this. And that is nothing more than taking away God as the author and substituting your name there. How easy it is to try to say, I am going to be my own author. You see, this was a direct word of the Lord that Aaron, Moses, this is how you are to proceed forward. And this was also a very active word. You see, many times we say in our lives, you know, God doesn't seem to be at work. God doesn't seem to be very active. You know, I just go through the motions, and where is God? But you know, nowhere in the Bible is God pictured as being inactive. Now you may say, well, Pastor Adam, wait a minute. What about the story of Job? Job is full of boils, and we're, we're going to get to a plague concerning boils in the upcoming weeks. And, and he's crying out to God. He's saying, God, show me your ways, and God is silent. What about that? Well, that's why we have the first chapter of Job, isn't it? God was not being inactive. God was working in Job's life to reveal who he is to Job and also to show Satan that, God, that Job is not serving him just for what he gets. There is never a time that God is simply inactive. It may seem like it to us, but God is always active. Even if we are so stubborn that we are going our own way and trying to to be our own rescuer, God is active even in that. That yes, He is waiting for us to come to the end of our strength. But He is so guiding our path that we will come to the end of our strength. God is an active God. Do not this morning get caught up in your own thinking, and I am so prone to do this as well, God, why aren't you working? Because it may not be that God is working according to what we expect, but God is indeed working. And we see how active God is in his plan that he tells Moses to give to Aaron. There's two basic things that God tells Moses uh, to give to Aaron in verse 16. First of all, he says, stretch out your staff and strike 
the dust of the earth. So that the first element in this active word that God gives is that he is to stretch out his staff and then to strike the dust of the earth, the second element. But let's look at this first element, stretch out your staff. This is a very active and a very powerful statement that God is telling Aaron, and we can understand just how powerful and active this is, Look, being able to look at the, the, the whole book of Exodus. I just want to take a moment to share with you, to strengthen our faith in God's working. I just want to look at this simple word, stretch. Stretch out. Now, I don't like stretching. I don't know about you, but that's not the type of focus that we're going to be looking at this morning. But I want you to jump back, if you will, to Exodus 6 and verse 6, which we've already read this morning. First of all, I want you to realize, how does God say that he is going to redeem Israel? I will redeem you with what? I think it's pretty much universal no matter what translation you may be reading from. I'm going to redeem you how? An outstretched arm. When you look one chapter over at chapter 7 and verse 5, notice God says, the Egyptian shall know that I am the Lord when, what? When I stretch out my hand against Egypt. And bring out the people of Israel from among them. We then read in in verse 19 where, where then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, take your staff, stretch it out over the waters that they would become blood. We read through the plagues that that they are that. Aaron and later Moses will stretch out their hand with with their rod to showcase the power of God. When you jump to chapter 14, and you get to this climactic moment where the people cross the Red Sea, in verse 16 of chapter 14, once again, the Lord says to Moses, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. Then in verse 26 again, the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back on the Egyptians upon their chariots and their horses. But listen, just as we saw the very first appearance of stretching out your arm, your hand, in chapter 6, verse 6, God was the author of that. Look at the last mention of an outstretched arm, an outstretched hand, in this Exodus story of leaving Egypt in chapter 15, verse 12. What do the people do in their song of salvation? What do they say to the Lord in praising Him for deliverance? You stretched out your hand. The earth swallowed them. So let me ask you as we come back to this third plague and the Lord says to, to, uh, to tell Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth. Who is the one ultimately outstretching their hand? 
It is God, is it not? And listen, as long as we are trying to make things happen, quote unquote, in our lives, we are seeking God's, the glory that is rightful only to God. God is the one who is to receive glory in our lives. That though we are being used by God and God is empowering us and God is, is uh, and, and that we are making a, an impact and, and we may even be considered successful, uh, whatever the case may be, do you realize that it is God who is doing the work? Not simply ourselves. You see, far too often in my life, and I know far too often in your life, I and you, we are glory seekers. Because I am most comfortable when I can receive the glory because I know that, okay, I can handle this. Okay, I got this covered. Okay, I can understand this. But in order for God to receive His glory, it must be beyond my comprehension, beyond your comprehension. And it, we must admit that we cannot be the Savior of our lives. Has God brought you to that point yet? We're going to see for the people of Israel that God had to bring them to the edge of the Red Sea for them to truly see that God is the deliverer. And when they were in the wilderness, they kept forgetting it, just like we do. Are you in the process of God showing you that it is His work that you must be dependent upon? You see, Psalm 136, it says this, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. And then it goes on and it says, And He brought Israel out from among them, for His steadfast love endures forever, with a strong uh, hand, and here we have that word outstretched, and an outstretched arm, for His steadfast love endures forever. Listen, if we want to be like the psalmist and we want to truly comprehend in the limited way, if we want to experientially see the steadfast, faithful love of the Lord, we're going to have to be brought to the place where He alone is our rescuer. And we acknowledge that and we see God work. But as long as you're being manipulative in your life, you are not going to see God work. So we see this first element of God's active word as he tells Aaron, okay, you are going to stretch out your staff, but we know from the context that it is ultimately God stretching out his arm. And then secondly, in this third plague, he tells Aaron the second active word he gives, the second element here is he is to strike the dust of the earth. This is another common word uh, in the plague narrative that we read about, this word strike. And we read of this 
all throughout the plagues, that it, is, that it is Moses and Aaron that are striking, but ultimately it is God who is striking. I just want to take you to one passage, just as we kind of do an overview here, of chapter 12, verses 12 to 13. This last plague that brings deliverance to God's people. Notice who it is that is at work Verse 12 of chapter 12, God says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. But then notice God's, not only God's judgment, but God's salvation in verse 13. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. You see, folks, if we are ever to see God as our Savior, we must first see Him as a holy God that cannot compromise with sin. Sin will be punished. God is just. God cannot overlook sin or He would no longer be just. And folks, we see God that apart from some sort of a rescuer, we are hopeless. We are like Pharaoh. But guess what God did? God was willing to strike His own Son. God's outstretched arm of judgment met Jesus' outstretched arm on the cross for you. Amen? You see, God is our Redeemer because God is not just judge, He is also rescuer. This was an active word. God was at work in this situation. And this is thirdly, I just want to bring to your attention a productive word. God's word always accomplishes what it sets out to do. Why was Aaron to do this at the end of verse 16? So that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. God would once again send a plague to showcase who He is, that He is the one true God. He would once again send a plague so that He would be able to deliver His people. And folks, God's Word, just as it accomplishes what it was set out to do here uh, thousands of years ago in the land of Egypt, it is still a productive Word and it accomplishes what it sets out to do. That's why Hebrews 4.12, it says this, For the Word of God is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions that should be of, of the heart. God's Word is living. It is active. In other words, it is able to do what it says. 
Folks, let's not be like Pharaoh who just diminishes the Word of God and exalts himself above what God says, though time and time again we've proven ourselves to fall short. Let's not be like the Israelites who in the wilderness, they time and time again doubted God's Word because they faced a new difficulty and didn't say, look at what God's already done, He's going to continue to do that. It is time for us as Christians to let the Word of God have its right place in our lives. It is a call for us to reform our thinking that we are going to be a people that patterns our thinking and after the Word of God, that patterns the way we live by God's grace after the Word of God, that is going to put His Word above our own logic and reasoning. So we see this direct word that God gives, and then we not only see a word of the Lord, but now we go and see in verse 17 the action of the Lord. God is not just a God of words, but of action. It says, and they did so. In other words, they obeyed. Aaron stretched out his his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth, and there were gnats on man and beast, All the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. This is huge. We first of all note what we we saw in the first two plagues, that God worked through Moses and Aaron's obedience. I mean, the, the beginning of verse 17, and they did so. Folks, if if God is going to glorify Himself in our lives, we have to be obedient servants. It's not that our obedience somehow earns favor with God. We already have that through Jesus. But it is that we are living out of response to what God has been doing in our life and and has, has rescued us from. So if we are saying, okay, I'm going to serve God on one hand and I'm going to serve myself on another, God God is not going to, to bless that. He's not going to work through that. But God worked through Moses and Aaron's obedience and work He did because this was a full and complete working God worked fully and completely. You notice here that Aaron does what God says. He stretches out his hand just as God told him. He strikes the dust of the earth just as God told him. And all of a sudden it says there were gnats on man and beast. That's a figure of speech to basically say there were gnats everywhere on everything These gnats were probably more than likely not just the pesky gnats you fly away from your house. They were were probably uh, biting insect gnats. It was more than just a small nuisance. And there were gnats everywhere. And we see the scope of this that it's uh, the end of verse 17 says, All the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. The emphasis is all and everything. Every, there was no respite from these gnats. There was no temple that Pharaoh could go to. There was no 
hiding place. The gnats were on all men. Kind of reminds me of what Romans 2.11 says, that God shows no partiality. Listen, folks, apart from Jesus Christ, we are all under judgment because of our sin. Listen, there's no, okay, you can, believe, you can believe in the God of the Bible, and okay, you can believe in Buddha, and you can believe in, 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 in this higher being or this spiritual life force or, or whatever the case may be, but yet, you know, we're all kind of under this umbrella of faith. Listen, we don't read that in the Bible. There is one God. And as, as Paul, or as Peter says in, in Acts 4, There is only one name under heaven whereby men can be saved, and it is Jesus Christ. Amen? God is no respecter of persons. In the body of Christ, it doesn't matter what nationality you are. It doesn't matter what gender you are. It doesn't matter what limitations you have, what physical deformities you have. Uh, We are all one in Christ. God's judgment came fully and completely. So we see as we look at this judgment of this first plague that it was a word from the Lord and it was an action of the Lord. But not only do we read about God's judgment that's displayed here in this first plague, but what is God seeking to reveal in this third plague? So not only do we see God's judgment, but God's act of revelation. Remember, God said to Moses that that, that my people will know that I am the Lord because of my salvation and my great acts of judgment. And then he also says the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord because of what I am going to do. So let's look at this act of revelation that God is giving in this third plague. And I believe in verse 18, we see that this first act of revelation, the first question that has to come to our mind when we see God revealing Himself is who can compare to the Lord? Can I ask you that this morning? Who can compare to the Lord? Does your iPhone? Does your boat? Does does your bank account number? Does the car you drive? Do those websites that you go to that you should not go to? You see, we produce things that that grab our attention, sometimes willingly, sometimes without us even knowing it, and they run competition with the Lord. But this plague, folks, should remind us who can compare to the Lord? No one can. Psalm 40, verse 5, it says, the psalmist says, You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. What a beautiful verse concerning Not only who God is, but what God has done. What a beautiful portrayal of the gospel. 
of God's work through Jesus on our behalf. There are so many deeds that God has done on behalf of his people. So many countless thoughts God has for his people that even though we proclaim them, they're more than we could ever tell. Is that your God? I mean, do you see the greatness and the, 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 the might of God in sending these acts of judgment? And yet God has stooped down and he has rescued us. He has called us to himself. We are his. Is that your God? I'll never forget when I was um, in kindergarten, uh, my dad was, uh, was a pastor at, at a certain church um, in Orlando, and then uh, he had left that ministry, and he was looking in the, in the middle ground and finding another ministry uh, at what to do. Well, one of the things he always had an interest in was being a police officer. Um, so I guess the, the similarity would be as a pastor you help people and as a police officer you help people. Um, that's maybe the only similarity. But he did. He went through the academy. He did all of that stuff and he made it. And, and I remember uh, on certain days, I went to this, this, uh, this uh, school in kindergarten, as most of you did as well. And anyway, I would always be so proud when my dad would come and pick me up because he was just off duty or he was going to be going to work, and he had his full-fledged police outfit on, gun, handcuffs, everything. And you kind of see all, the, uh, all your friend's eyes kind of looking at him. And you kind of think, yeah, that's my dad. He's coming to pick me up. I'm getting in that same car. That's my dad. Now, hopefully my kids have that same feeling as just a pastor. <laughs> Maybe not. But that is the way our thoughts should be toward God. Look at who my God is. And he's chosen to call me by name. He calls me son or daughter. And man, how can I not but help proclaim the wondrous deeds and thoughts that God has towards me? How can I help but not tell my coworkers that are without Christ these things as God provides me opportunity? How can I not help my troubled brother and sister in Christ and encourage them that, listen, God is faithful. He's done all of these things for you. He will work out his plans here too. We may not know how, but he is at work. Or are we too caught up looking all about ourselves that we don't remember the God we have? Who can compare to the Lord? Just very quickly, uh, running out of time, but Psalm 113 verse 5, it likewise says, Who is like the Lord our God who is seated on high? Now we see evidence that no one or nothing can compare to the Lord from our text. You see, verse 18, this is so interesting. It says, the magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. This is the first time we read about this. 
Plague one, they did produce some water to blood through their occultic rituals. Plague two, they did produce some frogs through their occultic rituals. But plague three, nada. That means nothing in Spanish. <laughs> nothing. Now, many individuals wonder why, okay, why could they repeat these first two plagues and, and yet not repeat the others? And I think it's interesting that God is in cosmic battle, not only with Pharaoh himself, but with the belief system of Pharaoh, like we talked about last week, and the belief system of the Egyptians. And they held all of these gods that they worshipped. And the main supreme source of life that they worshipped was the Nile River. From the Nile would produce life uh, and, and, and it was to be the Nile and the, the incarnate God of the Nile was to be worshipped. And what happens? The Pharaoh's uh, priests, their magicians, they imitate God's actions that really had to do with the Nile. It was the water that turned to blood. It was the frogs that came from the Nile. But here, God tells Aaron, strike the earth. So, Egypt is, while they still worship gods of the land and the sky and the sun, they were out of their elements, so to speak. And here we see a hint that God is showing Pharaoh and the priests, the magicians, that you may say that your gods are the ones who are to be worshipped, but my power is not simply limited to the water. My power is over everything. You are out of your element, Pharaoh, and yet I'm still God. You know what Isaiah 40 verse 12 says? Isaiah asks the question, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighted the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. God says through Isaiah that they are to consider, have any of these false idols that the people have turned to that are bringing them into captivity, have any of them done these things? No, there is only God. Who can compare to God? The psalmist, Psalm 95 verse 5 says, the sea is his for he made it and his hands have formed the dry land. There is nothing outside of God's scope of sovereignty and control. So as we look, we see that the, the, the priests could not imitate the producement of these gnats. It should bring into our mind the question, who can compare to the Lord? And what am I knowingly or unknowingly putting up to the level that only God deserves? And then the second question that should come to our mind is who can deny his ways? What happened when the, the magicians, the priests, they realized that they cannot produce these gnats? Verse 19, the beginning part says, Then the magician said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. Wow, what a recognition. The magician's formal report, 
is that previously we were able to duplicate miracles. We were able to prove that, that our gods were comparable to this God of the Hebrew people. And what was the result? The result was a hardened heart by Pharaoh. But now, the occultic leaders closest to Pharaoh are telling him they are recognizing that this is the work of God. This is their God. Now, this is still a distant statement because they're using a generic word for God. They're not using God's personal name, Yahweh. So they're not saying like, okay, we place our faith in this God. No, they're saying, whatever God it is that they're worshiping, this is his handiwork. We can't, we can't come up with any excuse. Listen, at the end of the day, we have to ask ourselves, who can deny God's ways? For a time, those that do not place their faith in, in what Christ has accomplished... They do not look to Christ for the forgiveness of sins, the salvation of their lives, the cleansing of their heart. They can be their own Savior for a limited amount of time, but that time is short. At the end of the day, the Bible says that every knee will bow before the Lord and proclaim Him as Lord, Philippians 2, 9-11. We ourselves can deny God's working in our life even as His children, but if we truly are His children, He will not let that just continue because whom the Lord loves, He chastens. But then there's one third final question as we close. Not only who can compare to the Lord, not only who who could possibly deny His ways, the, the priest couldn't, but we ask who can resist his will. Well, we see in verse 19 that Pharaoh does. It says, but Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. So we see this progression. The heart of Pharaoh, it is hardened and it is continuing being in the process of being hardened. And that leads to this action that he would not listen to the people. But ultimately, this must be cloaked in the declaration that this is just as the Lord had said. You see, even the rejection of men is under the sovereign control of Almighty God. Nothing in the course of history past, history present, or history future is outside of his control. Things may look difficult for the people of God just as they look difficult in the land of Egypt. But nothing is outside of his control. Are you mindful of God's declaration that God accomplishes what he sets out as he has said?